Hello, cruel world, and welcome to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too. We know you have your choice of so many things to uh, fill the void so you don't have to be left alone with your own thoughts, and we thank you for choosing us today. And we are members of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community-supported. My name is Indy Great White Randawa, and with me is Samantha Baby Shark Randawa. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> you were asking me about different kinds of sharks. Yes, because I realized the, I don't actually know any. The one you mentioned is Baby. <laughs> yeah. It's your favorite kind of shark. My favorite kind of shark is a baby shark. And your favorite song. No, not really. Well, today we are going to be talking about the 1975, and this time I'm not using it ironically, classic <laughs> film. It is a classic film. Jaws. So this is going to be a spoiler-filled episode. So if you haven't seen Jaws, you've had time. Go watch it right now. Come back. Listen to this. Yeah. Or maybe this will convince you to watch it. But we're not going to, you know, summarize it. We're going to analyze it. We're really going to get in there. Get, are we? Get down deep. Down into that shark logic. Into the shark waters, shark-infested waters of 1975. Oh. In case this is your first time, how this podcast works is Samantha and I take turns choosing the movie, something the other hasn't seen. And Jaws was my pick because I do consider it a uh, pretty classic, pretty important film. And yeah. it's something that Sam hadn't ever seen. So we are going to... Uh, Find out if she loved it as much as I do or not. But before we get into everything and the rest of the episode, let's thank our first sponsor of the episode, and that is the Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you can be calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options with Alberta Blue Cross, head to ab.bluecross.ca. All right, Samantha, let's get into it already. It's been way too much of me talking, <laughs> and we're only like five minutes in. So I want to hear from you. This was my pick. It's a movie that I said I loved, but I probably had actually only seen once or twice, and not oh. in the last 15 years. But I want to ask you, I love this movie. Did you? I liked it a lot. That seems to be the common. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think you're right. We sat down to just watch it again while we were getting organized. And uh, I think we were too tired when we watched it the first time because... It was a busy week. It was a busy week. It was shark week. And we had to like squeeze it in with a billion other things. So I think if we'd been a little more awake the first time, I might have like... Loved it? Been closer to loving it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um... But with the stuff that we watched today, because I'm not as sleepy as I was that day, it's like a better movie. And I do it feels think, like a better movie all of a sudden. I think this movie is better upon rewatching because mm -hmm. you're watching it the first time and you're kind of figuring out what you're seeing. And True. I think you can appreciate a lot more upon a second viewing. Yeah, I think maybe I noticed some more things in the second viewing. And also the second viewing, I was talking a lot. And we were watching certain scenes and I kind of got into like filmmaker mode and was like <laughs> yeah. breaking down like, oh, look how great that is. And this shot leads into this. And yeah. uh, so we kind of got into it a little bit more on the second viewing. And I think that 
helped out. And for me as well, because I was paying attention to the artistry and not just the plot a lot mm-hmm. more in the second viewing. Didn't I finish watching this the first time laying on the ground? <laughs> you did, and I'm pretty sure you fell asleep. Well, let's talk about the movie. Um, First, I want to talk a little bit about the making of the movie or the context surrounding it. Mm-hmm. And we probably have to hit upon how um, prescient to this movie and some of the issues are today in our post-COVID world. Yeah. I don't mean post as in it's over. I mean, after the beginning of COVID. Yes. And we can talk a little bit about the troubles that they had on set and how I think that made the movie much better mm-hmm. because of that. And uh, how the Spielberg and everyone else implements tension and some of the some of the craft about this movie. And I think we'll probably talk about some character stuff. I know I want to touch on masculinity as portrayed in Jaws. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of good stuff surrounding that. And we'll probably just touch on our own fears of uh, open water (laughs) somewhere in the middle there. I understand that this movie was made in 1975, but I, for some reason, thought it was way newer than that. Like, maybe not, like, way newer. Like, maybe it was, like, early 90s. Okay. Because I feel like it's always been a big movie. Yeah, like it's yeah. There's not many the movies that from the '70s that you are like very aware of, mm-hmm. right? This one I totally thought like, or maybe like late '80s or something, right? But I, I totally did not think it was 1975. I think even before I got into watching movies more more actively as a kid, I probably thought this was like a 1989 movie. Yeah, it kind of just had that feel, and then when you look at it, and you're like, oh, this is '75. It, first of all, I think it looks great for 75 oh, or totally. just in general. Totally. How did you think it looks? I think it's pretty like 70s hippie kind of like the people in it look like they're from the 1970s. Sure, sure. But it's filmed in a way that if you had told me like this is like 1989 or something, I'd believe you. Yeah. I, I think it it's filmed... In such a way that it doesn't date itself. Right. And I think it's just, it's expertly filmed. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg is kind of a, a genre within himself at this point, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so much of it. So let's talk a little bit about Steven Spielberg. Um, I'll admit, I'm not the hugest fan. Okay. I think a lot of Spielberg's career, he was kind of set as, um, he's often paired with George Lucas, and I, I get that, but he's kind of the opposite side of the same coin to Stanley Kubrick. And I'm a very big Kubrick fan. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg, Spielberg, many would argue that he uh, is a warmer filmmaker and Kubrick is cold and detached. But I kind of felt that Spielberg sometimes is uh, overly sentimental mm. and trite at times. And I wasn't a very big Spielberg fan. Okay. I hadn't revisited Jaws in many, many years, and I gotta say, it's it's great. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it maybe makes me appreciate a lot of other Spielberg stuff more. So are you a fan of his? Um, Do you want me to list some of his yeah, movies? Yeah, I was just gonna say I should look up and see what movies of his that I've seen. Because of the era where we both grew up, he has some big movies yes. that would have been part of it. And probably people that are older than us were even more uh, in that uh, Spielberg wheelhouse. Oh, for sure. Because he does do a lot of movies that are maybe not for kids always, but a lot of movies 
The yeah, kid no, you friendly? know what? Yeah, kid friendly movies yeah, for sure. Because that's different than like four kids. But Jaws itself is rated PG. Really? Yeah. For that much blood in it? Yeah. Wow. And that much smoking and well, like... Well, I guess. Well, in the 70s, like everyone smoked. It's true. Everyone. It's true. I'm thinking about modern rating rules yeah. where you like... You, you get, light up a cigarette and you're yeah, PG-13 or whatever it is. And like you get like one swear. <laughs> so this was his big breakthrough, I would say. Like he had stuff before, but this one made him a star. Followed by all of the Indiana Jones movies. Oh, okay. I've seen a few of those. I like one of them. I know that's a controversial take because especially someone of my age and also someone who's named Indy, uh-huh. like I should love Indiana Jones movies. I don't know. I think three is great. Yeah. One is good. Two's bad. Four what, is bad. Which one's two? Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. That's with the big rolling ball. Did I just ruin it? Yeah, now, now everyone knows, oh man, there's going to be a rolling ball. I don't want to <laughs> see that. Uh, he also did E.T., of course, is a oh, really like big e. one. Uh, Color Purple. From our childhood, we'd probably know Hook and Jurassic Park as his big ones. Yeah, yeah. And I think you can see a lot of what Jurassic Park will do later in Jaws. Oh. I've never seen the first Jurassic Park. You've never seen Jurassic Park? No. Why are we doing Jaws and not Jurassic Park? (laughs) I've seen like the newer ones. The garbage ones. Yeah, like the Chris Pratt ones. Oh, oh. But you're like, I'm sorry. so a lot of the times, of course, like, oh, you haven't seen Jaws? Yeah, it was made before you were born. But Jurassic Park is, was a kid's movie when we were kids. Yeah. Sorry for letting you down. No, you're not letting me down. It's just, um, <laughs> I didn't think we would do more Spielberg because I'm not a huge fan, but you kind of have to see Jurassic Park. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Uh, he also did uh, Schindler's List, right. Amistad, Saving Private Ryan, AI, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, oh, War I like of to the Catch World. You if you, catch Me If You Can. I, I think that I was like quite that good one. as well. Fun. And then more recently, he did uh, Ready Player One, West Side Story. So he's done a lot. I think, I'm not sure about this, but I think he may be the most lucrative director of all time. Oh, okay. I think his body of work has made more than any other single director. I think. Is he a weirdo? Um, no. Is he a nice guy? I would say no. I don't know much about him. Okay. Because I know sometimes you're like, oh, this guy is weird or this guy's rude. Oh, well, he's not like crazy on set like Kubrick. Okay. No, no, okay. no. He's nothing like that. I can get into a little bit of what I know about the set of this movie because while they were making it, it was a, a problematic set. Things were going wrong all the time. Apparently, the crew also hated Spielberg. Really? But not because he was like a big jerk. But although he may have been a little bit of a jerk, he was quite young. Nobody thought he should be in charge of something as big as this was. Mm. Uh, the budget was 300% over budget. It took three times as long to finish than it was supposed to. There were just a lot of issues one of my favorite stories is when they were doing the last shot, Spielberg set it up and then took off because he was convinced that the crew was going to throw him into the ocean afterwards. What? Because they were all making fun of his pants. That was a big thing because he was wearing these $250 bell bottoms in 1975 and everyone was making fun of him about it. And the crew and a lot of the cast were local to the island where oh. they're shooting, which I think was Nantucket. Hmm. And then you got this little big city young kid coming in and kind of telling everyone what to do and a lot of people didn't like that also he was convinced this movie was a failure 
right up until oh. it screened, he was like, this is terrible. I'm going to be, I'm never going to work again. And during the movie, he kept thinking he was going to get fired. Hmm. So it was a, quite a surprise when it was successful. But then once it was successful, he did act like a jerk, in my opinion, a lot, because he hired a documentary crew to watch him receive the news about the Oscar nominations. Oh, and then I think it was not nominated for Best Director, and he's, like, quite upset about it. Oh. Yeah. And the editor, uh, Verna Fields is her name, and a lot of women in cinema, especially in the 70s, their contributions have, like, really been minimalized or just mm -hmm. erased. And she's done a lot of good work, and there's a lot of talk about how she was one of the forces that helped save this movie. And, of course, Spielberg did a lot of great work. This is some good direction. I'm not mm -hmm. going to deny that at all. But he went on to kind of minimize what she had done and said, like, no, she didn't really do that. It was me. No, this. And um, there That's was. shitty. I think it was at the Oscars, someone was putting together a piece about uh, women in cinema and yeah. their contributions, and Spielberg called them up and said, like, don't put Verna Fields in there. Like, she didn't do as much as people say she did. Oh. So, and he I also like got- that. Yeah. So he was a, like, young, egotistical guy. Mm. You know, Hollywood's full of them, so it's not a pass to, like, oh, well, everyone does that, but it's also not, like- he wasn't as bad as a lot of other people, but that doesn't make you good. Just not no, being as no, bad no. as other people. But from what I hear, I don't um, follow like the personal lives of celebrities very much, but I don't hear a lot of horror stories from Steven Spielberg. Okay. So. I know you always have like more of an inside take I, on people. Yeah, I don't follow personal lives, but someone's directing style, I feel like that's not their personal yeah. life. That is their professional life. And Kubrick, who I love, was terrible to work with. But I love what he produced, so it's kind of like, you know, it's tricky mm -hmm. that way. But either way, I'm not a huge Spielberg fan, but I love this movie, and mm -hmm. I think it's some of his best work, and as a, a very young director, he's doing some really good stuff here. It was impressive for someone who didn't have that much experience. I don't know why I just assumed Spiel Spielberg is like, always been Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> this this is the one that like, right. really kicked yeah. it off. And I... Don't realize how old he is, but from 75 to now, he's been doing blockbuster movies. And I think he kind of is the father of the uh, the modern blockbuster. I know we can go back to Hitchcock and Psycho. Was yeah. like, the, I think that's where the term was coined. But the summer blockbuster for sure was started mm. off on this one. Wow. He's 75 years old. Wow. This year. There you go. Yeah. I huh. totally thought he was younger than that. And he came out in that film school era where he's most likened to George Lucas because they were both like the nerdy side of that. Right. But this is also uh, Coppola, Scorsese, Kubrick, all of those guys mm -hmm. who were students of film, which wasn't really a, a thing yeah. in like the 50s, right? Right. Yeah, because he was born in 1946. There you go. A real baby boomer. Yeah, a real one. And I think one of the, I would say, bad things about Jaws, well, there's probably two things. First, it created a lot of hatred and fear toward sharks. Right. Which is unfortunate because sharks are pretty sweet and they don't uh, act like this. But, you know, <laughs> it's a movie. Uh, but the other thing is it changed how marketing works about movies and kind of ruined a lot of things because of that. Oh, really? Because movies used to open up with like a, a soft, gradual distribution. Mm -hmm. So and then they would see it if it's successful, and then more theaters would pick it up. 
And as we know now, that's not how it works. It's you hear about the movie for a year before it comes out, especially right. a big summer blockbuster. Yeah, you get and your trailers for that date. and you like, yeah. And then there's like Friday midnight showings. You got to see yeah. everything. And that kind of starts with with this because this was one of the first movies to have well, first, it was one of the first movies to be um, widely successful, uh, highest grossing movie of all time when it came out. And I think the first to ever go over $100 million oh, wow. in uh, box office receipts. It was also one of the first movies to have a really aggressive uh, advertising campaign. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hate that because if a movie's good, I'll find it. I'll find <laughs> it. I don't need you to tell me about it. But I guess that's not how the world works for the most part. Yeah. And it really changed the business side yeah. of, of filmmaking. I think also back then, like, it's you're not as oversaturated with advertising content. True. Like, like it's on TV. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can pick up my phone. I can, like, look at my computer. We can go just out into the world and see ads everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Whereas then it would have been, like, TV and maybe, like, the newspaper. That's one of my favorite things about watching old sports games. There's uh, <laughs> no ads anywhere. It's yeah. Beautiful. And that, too. You just, like, it's just a wall of ads behind whatever you're watching. Yeah. So, yeah, this would have been a big deal to actually, like, advertise something big like that. Mm -hmm. And it worked. Because of that, that's why uh, things are the way they are now. Hmm. This is where it started. And I think if I was a kid at the time this movie came out, I probably would have been so, so into it. (laughs) Because this is the movie that made a generation of people fall in love with movies. And especially, like, the idea of the summer blockbuster. Right. And I think it also really increased um, the value of the idea of going to the movies as a part of mostly American culture, but adopted around the world, of course. And it also probably got a whole generation of kids into filmmaking, too. Oh, that's fun. That's... Like an iconic movie then. Mm-hmm. And it's coming out in 75. And you know how I love to talk about 70s films because they were um, much darker and grimy and dealt with kind of disillusionment. And mm-hmm. this movie, though, doesn't really play into that. Although, you know what? Maybe it does, but not as overtly as your taxi drivers and scarecrows and godfathers and things like that. Mm. But there is definitely some of that in there because this is um, after Vietnam, after Watergate, and people wanted to have fun. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's right to call this a fun movie, but it it kind of is, right? Because it's scary, but it's fun scary. I think it's fun, yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely, like, with all the beach scenes and the music in it and everything, like, I think it's a fun movie. Yeah. It's, like, kind of upbeat-ish. And I guess any movie that's a summer blockbuster is, has a certain level of fun to yeah. it. Yeah, It's an adventure. It is an adventure. But it does have a lot more horror elements than I think any summer blockbuster does these days. I think it has a lot more blood than most summer blockbusters have. <laughs> True. So I think one thing we have to talk about when we start analyzing this movie and I'll just get it out of the way as fast as we can about how prescient this seems to our world now. Mm-hmm. Pretty obvious? Yeah. Um, should I just like run through this stuff real quick or do you want to? No, you go. 
So, um, I, we're recording this in the summer of 2022, and there's uh, so much that seems like it is a parody of what has happened over the last two, three years. Yeah. So, in this movie, an expert says one thing and is backed up by other experts, but then as soon as people start looking into the economics of it, they change what they said, even if they don't have any idea what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Seems pretty painfully familiar. Tourism over science. Yes. Yeah. Which uh, happened a lot during yes. <laughs> the last few years, especially even just beaches being open. That's specifically has happened. A thing, yeah. yeah. Like, you'll die if you go there. Like, yeah, but we need the money. So we're going to just let people just die. We're going to do it. <laughs> and it, it, many governments just like calculated like, yeah, people are going to die, but we will make more money. And it was just a calculation. And they mm -hmm. put a, like, as long as this many people die, then it's fine. And yeah, that, that happened. And then this it happens in the movie. And I think when I first watched the movie, I was like, well, this is stupid because the mayor character, like no one would actually act like that. And then they did. Yeah. All horror movies now, whenever we have an issue of someone like, well, they wouldn't do that. The last two years have shown us. Yeah, they would. Yeah, no. They you absolutely are would. dispensable. People in power disposable. do not care about you. The greater. Yeah. They don't care about you. Also, Brody is an outsider, and they always make a point of saying it, and they don't trust him because he's not from there. Like, well, you're not one of us, so right. you really don't know We've what We've heard about, about you. Yeah. Like, yeah, I found it really interesting how the, the locals were kind of forced to give him some respect, yeah. right? Because he's the chief of police. He's been brought in for the summer. He's, like, in charge. Um, but they also don't give him respect in the way that they're like, well, we've lived here all of our lives. Like, yeah. we know what's happening. And that is just it. Like, we're from here. There's no other thing that could be more important than that. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, painfully familiar today as well. People who don't know what they're talking about are constantly trying to profit off of it. Like, those people who are all going hunting with dynamite and stuff. Yeah. Um that happen if you're just selling toilet paper that yeah. was our modern equivalent of that exactly and like hoarding masks uh, and people are always trying to distract and focus on other things like uh there's a scene where they're talking about the people dying and they say like whoa this sign has been vandalized why don't you find the people who have done that and just trying to distract onto yeah. some other thing like they're the real villains not the shark that's killing everyone and then even on the Less obvious side, uh, when they catch the first shark, Brody and all of us are very eager to accept that easy answer. And they make a point of showing how happy Brody is when this first shark is caught. Of mm -hmm. course, it means nothing because there is a, another shark out there. And that is really familiar to us because I think a lot of people are like, oh, I got my vaccine. Now everything's fine. Yeah, I'm But free. it wasn't fine. No. We all know now. And then there is also the idea of negotiation. Like in this one, his son is in the ocean and goes, no, don't go in there. I was like, well, how about the smaller little inlet to the pond right. here? And like, okay, yeah, they're safe. And just the same with us of like, oh, well, yeah, don't have a big party. But yeah, maybe just a few friends. Yeah. Like, oh, I'll still go out, but I'll just wear a it's mask. Like a small dinner party. Yeah. So all we'll of that. We'll just leave a window open. Yeah. That was like the, th they're like, well, the windows were open. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. Yeah. Well, that's a lot not fun to talk about, so let's just move on. <laughs> you did a better job of summarizing it than I could, though. Thanks. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about some symbolism, but I'm not going to go heavy on this one like I usually do. I'm going to talk more about craft, I think, in this than uh, 
symbolism because I think that's more of a Spielberg thing. I love crafts. <laughs> All right, then you're going to like this. <laughs> so pretty simply, this movie is about uh, three men on a boat trying yeah. to catch a shark. Mm -hmm. That's... It's kind of a two-act movie. It's like the first act is uh, everyone, all the land and beach yeah. stuff. And then halfway through the rest of the movie, they're on the boat. I didn't realize how much boat time there was. I was going to say it felt like two episodes of a movie. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Mm. Um, now that everything's a miniseries, it's like, yeah, it's episodes. So it felt like, yeah, the beginning of the movie was one episode. And then this was like the conclusion of it. Yeah. And I um, kind of liked how it was structured and that they didn't go back to the town at the end. Yeah, I would expect this to be a more traditional three-act structure, mm -hmm. but it is it is slightly different. And I appreciate that. I appreciate how the battle with the shark mm -hmm. is more drawn out. It's a war of attrition with a shark. It's not a climactic showdown yeah. like you would expect. And I, I found that very effective. Yeah. Uh, but symbolically, I think you, we can all just read this as a, an update of Moby Dick. And uh, Quint is our Ahab, while Brody is our Ishmael. And that seems like pretty straightforward. It's one man's obsession. And I think Spielberg might have even said like, oh, yeah, it was just Moby Dick. <laughs> I can see that comparison, though. You're you're hunting this this huge, bigger, larger than life thing. Mm hmm. I think there's also an argument to be made about fatalism in this, because Quint, of course, was on the USS Indianapolis and avoided being eaten by sharks then. And it's like he's avoided it this long and then it, it finally catches up he, with him. It's finally like, gets eaten, yeah. you know, you, that, that was your fate and you can only postpone. <laughs> you cannot uh, escape it. Yeah. And I think there's probably good arguments to be made that this is just a man versus nature type movie. And it's just kind of about our own hubris of uh, saying, like, we can control nature. We mm -hmm. like we can do whatever. We own this beach. Yeah. And it's showing you that nature is more powerful than anything. Uh, you can push it off for a while, but you can't defeat it. Right. I think that's one of a fun reading that I probably prescribe to more than a lot. And then when it came out, a lot of people said it was a symbol for the Watergate scandal because it was about losing faith in your government. But we, of course, watching it now say like, oh, well, it's, it's just reminiscent of the whole COVID thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's whatever failure of people in charge that happened to you, I think is what it Yeah, is. whatever's happening in your like immediate time zone. And that's why maybe this is much more of a my style 70s movie than i've given it credit for i thought like oh this is like a fun movie it's not like one of my 70s movie which is all about the systems of society crumbling because mm -hmm. it actually is because it, everything could have been stopped if after the first death they closed the beaches because they say that the shark will just move on if right it's... if there's no food yeah if you cut off the food supply they'll just go away so this is just another, like we talked about um, Halloween and Dog Day Afternoon, that those movies are yeah. the result of people losing faith in their established systems, whether it's a government or family or whatever. Mm -hmm. The 70s are coming off the time where that promise of the 60s has not been fulfilled and everyone's feeling bad about it and they're commenting on it through art and the movies of the 70s really show it. And I didn't even think that Jaws would be one of those. I thought like, I'll give you a 70s movie, but like not one of my types. It's not political. <laughs> but it totally is. It totally is, yeah. The uh, inability of the people in charge to take charge. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, then let's talk about that world. Not just the world of the 70s, because I'll stop being preachy, but let's talk about the world of uh, Amity and what they've created there. I like the audio layering, which you see in more 70s movies. You don't get it as often now, but there's like a bunch of people talking in the background and you can actually hear conversations. Right, you get little snippets. Yeah, that's something we don't do as much in film anymore, and I kind of like that. It's fun. Because it just, it makes everything a little more real, and I think it makes all of those people that fill out this world more fleshed out and makes the the world more Mm -hmm. lived in in that way oh and it feels more real because you're if you're on a public beach you're gonna hear ninety thousand conversations happening behind you no matter who you're talking to so i think that was kind of a neat addition yeah and similarly when brody is on the phone talking about like important stuff we can also hear the dialogue between his wife and his son and i like that because it's like a real shorthand way of saying like no this is like a family man too Mm -hmm. right all those little things that spielberg was doing here i appreciate way more upon this watch than i had in the past because like i knew it's spielberg you're gonna have your typical hero's journey stuff and it's gonna pay off in a certain way Mm -hmm. if you're not familiar the hero's journey is like uh, that's in quotes it's a it's a thing and there are um uh, 16 stages to it it was from a a book uh and like every screenwriter uses it and this movie if you just look it up you can uh, see how this movie follows every step exactly so it's very clear it was based on a novel but the novel is not great and a lot of the stuff from the novel is not in this and like, the, they added a lot of the stuff the novel as well. of jaws jaws was a novel before a movie okay yeah 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 and uh the screenwriter and spielberg or not screenwriter the novelist and spielberg i uh, hated each other and spielberg when he was making it he says like well it has to be better than the book and that's our starting point because <laughs> woo. and then the writer of the novel had this thing about how, like, well, he doesn't know character stuff. He uh, just relies on cliches from movies from the 50s. And 20 years down the road, you're going to look back at this guy and say he's the best second unit director around because (laughs) he knows movie stuff, but he sure doesn't know character. And here we are, and Spielberg is maybe the biggest director ever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I kind of see where he's coming from in his later movies. I would agree. But in this point, I think Spielberg does a lot of really good character stuff because they took out things. Like, there was this whole subplot of uh, Hooper sleeping with Brody's wife. What? Why does that need to be in there? That seems very unnecessary. And there's a bunch of other stuff that's completely unnecessary. Like um the mayor doesn't shut down the beaches because the mob is pressuring him. Like that's also unnecessary. Yeah. It just further complicates things. But things that he added were like the backstory of Quint and the USS Indianapolis, which I think is very effective. Hmm. So I think Spielberg does a lot of good character work in this. I think another thing that separates this from a lot of movies and This movie itself is like, I'm going to use horror a lot, but I don't, is this a horror movie to you? No. I don't really know, but I don't. It had some like jumpy, scary parts. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that it was like, it doesn't have that like fear, dread, like anxiety feel. Right. But would you say it's a scary movie? No. But you jumped a couple times. A couple times. It's, it's, yeah, it is uh, an odd mix of adventure and horror, and mm-hmm. there's even some, like, light moments in it, but there's also good character stuff. 
it doesn't matter. I actually don't really care when people are like, well, this is horror and this isn't. Like, I don't know. If it's good, it's good. I don't really care about genres so, yeah, so much. Yeah, until you asked me, I hadn't really considered it mm-hmm. one thing or another. Yeah. A lot of people list I'd this say as like like one of the best action. horror movies. Yeah, maybe. I'd say it's kind of more of an action movie sure. because they're like fighting against this shark and there's running. There's a lot of running in this movie. I planned on talking about it later, but since we're here, I feel though thematically this has more in common with um psycho and halloween than it does a lot of like action or adventure movies Hmm. Uh, the pacing of those three movies i think is is surprisingly similar interesting there's definitely a lot of psycho there's a lot of hitchcock in this movie but you know what we'll get there <laughs> uh, but back to like the characters and i guess we can talk about horror movies in general too because this movie i think one thing it separates itself from a, a lot of especially our contemporary horror movies is that there is a great deal of gravity given to the deaths mm. in this movie and a horror movie's now for the most part do not do that at all in fact they try to do the opposite and uh this is probably closer to a lot of monster movies that had preceded this Mm -hmm. and b movies and those definitely didn't as well but here we see each death well except for maybe one (laughs) each death matters there's the one man who is killed which people kind of get over real quick Mm -hmm. but everything else has weight to it and we get to see them as people and a lot of horror movies bank on you trying to uh cheer for the killer almost oh like we'll watch some 80 slashers uh here's that's a little spoiler for what we're gonna do in october ah. but you've seen more recent horror movies and it's kind of a spectacle of how they're gonna get killed yeah like, oftentimes there'll be a group of people and they're jerks and that's why it's okay when they get killed yeah And it doesn't put a lot of emotional weight on us. No. You're going like, oh, that was cool because they got hung from this thing and thrown over here. And you uh, appreciate the spectacle. And you're kind of cheering for the death. Kind of, yeah. And this is not that. No. There is a certain amount of spectacle to the deaths, but in a very different way. It's much more understated and much more um, Hitchcock and less of a a slasher movie. But here... the. What I really appreciate is that Spielberg is not giving you a free pass on the emotional aspects. They're like, no, a person mm-hmm. died. A child died. And I don't think Spielberg ever does that again in the rest of his career. Oh, wow. Not many movies will do that. Because in this movie, uh, some of the first deaths, or there's a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. And then like a young boy and a dog. Yeah. Just complete innocence. Yeah. And... You know, in horror movies, often, like, the joke is, like, well, if you have sex or you steal something yeah. or you do a crime, and then it's all right that you die. And it is. It's That's the thing. Like, it's all right. It takes that emotional onus off of us right. as the viewer. It's like, like oh, they had it coming, yeah. whatever. And this movie doesn't do that. And that's one of the things I appreciate the most in it. They, in fact, do the, the opposite because reality hits you hard. If you're thinking, like, oh, it's, like, fun times, sharks are eating things, and it's it's, like, mm-hmm. a spectacle to see. Then you don't get to see the shark eat the boy. No. You get to see a a pretty gruesome, I think, very well done shot of uh, bloods flying up. Yeah. And then him kind of like flailing a little bit. And that's it. That's it. Yeah. You don't Maybe see, half a second. You don't see as much as you see with some other people. But what we do see is his mother in mourning come out and 
confront Brody and say, mm-hmm. you could have stopped this. You were complicit. And that's kind of a slap in the face, both literally for him, but yeah. for us as an audience, because in horror movies that we see, like, yeah, we're totally complicit in yeah. all the murders. Like, I watch, well, I guess Final Destination is its own thing because it's fun about the murders. But I watch a uh, Friday the 13th and I'm like, yeah, awesome. Like, I want to see these people get chopped yeah. up. That's why you're here. And this movie confronts you with, like, you are responsible. And the that weight hits you hard because that was a, a tough scene, but I think well done. Yeah, it was... Uh... Definitely an emotional moment where you could see just how upset she was and how upset Brody was. Yeah. Because he like he's like, I know. And that's going to be his driving force Mm -hmm. through the rest of the movie. You can tell that like he's at his kind of wits end with the fact that the mayor, I think that's the mayor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I assumed. Did they ever say that? I don't know. Okay. We're going to call him. He's the mayor character. So I'm going to call him the mayor. The guy in the anchor suit. Yes. The guy who's always like, huh, you're going to kill the town if you like close the beaches. It's 4th of July. Um, So the the mayor really doesn't seem to care, but Brody seems to care probably enough for the both of them. (laughs) And uh, you, you really see how broken up and like hurt he is that this woman is like hurting and it's done in one scene there's a great economy to character development in this because it is a like a big blockbuster horror adventure action all of that so you can't have a lot of dialogue or a lot of character development scenes but this movie picks and chooses those and i think they're very effective Mm -hmm. in addition to that like emotional reality this world seems pretty real it's not shot on a soundstage it's shot in a town just like that and it's actual ocean it's not like a big tank which i think most movies would do and definitely movies now totally would yeah it's uh you can see in the water that it's like real water because it's kind of cloudy and like it's not perfect yeah ocean water Mm -hmm. would be um it's like like when they made titanic like that was clearly Cool water. Yeah. yeah, because it's so clear and you can see every little detail. And the detail. sky in the background is fake. Yeah, yeah. so this Because is... it looks too good. Yeah. That's how you know it's fake. Yeah, it's like <laughs> everything looks perfect and you get that beautiful shot of her dress in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you wouldn't be able to see that in the ocean. There's a lot of crap in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, actually, I wanted to talk about the underwater sequences in this because they objectively don't look as good as underwater things now Mm -hmm. and i'd argue that's why they're better (laughs) (laughs) because the underwater scenes in this look like underwater Mm -hmm. i've been underwater that's what it looks like and because i can find that personal touchstone to it everything feels more real yeah and when people are underwater it seems so much more claustrophobic and I feel like, no, you need to get up. You're going to run out of air because it's something that I can relate to. Yeah. While those like perfect underwater scenes where people are down there for way too long that you couldn't do. And where you can see everything. Like if if life was like that, you'd be able to snorkel anywhere. Yeah. And just like so many of those 70s movies I bring up, like I love that gritty realism because it makes everything feel that much more palpable and threatening and I've never seen that associated with underwater sequences mm-hmm. until I started this recent watching of, of Jaws. Hmm. It's nice to know that you like learned some stuff in between washings. Like, yeah, definitely. Your original watching and now. 
Well, most of the movies I've been doing lately, I was like, I saw this once when I was 18. Is it as good as I thought it was then? (laughs) And we watch it. I was like, yeah, it's even better. Oh, yeah. And there's also like a lot of real world people in this. Like those were actual inhabitants of the town. Oh, really? Like the big actors were, um, of course, it's like Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Like the woman who slaps him, that was a woman who lived in the town there. Oh. And most of the beach people are as well. Interesting. That's cool. That's like makes it feel more real. Yeah. Because that whole setup is there already. You also watch some performances and you're like, what the hell is that person doing? Yeah. They've never been on a set before. Yeah. So they don't know. They just like, they don't know how to just like act like they're yeah. at the beach. Just be yourself. And yeah. And like, how do I be myself again? Uh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so like I was saying that this movie was way over budget. It took way too long to shoot. And... I, and I think I'm clearly not the first person to say this, but all of those troubles really made the movie better than Mm -hmm. what it was going to be. I bring this example up a lot, but uh, George Lucas making the first Star Wars movie was hindered by so many limitations. He wanted to do things, he just couldn't do it, and people had to make do with what they could. And I think it's just an absolutely brilliant movie. Then Phantom Menace comes around. He has all the money and he can make every choice and do exactly what he wants. Uh, yeah. And I think it's a piece of shit. <laughs> and we did episodes on those. You we can go did, back and yeah. Watch. But um, I think a lot of the times people's limitations really bring out that ingenuity. And that's when they kind of find some like magic. Right. There's so many great movies that are well-produced, well-directed, well-acted, and they're they're great. They're very good movies, mm-hmm. but there's a certain character to movies that are great despite the limitations. Right. Not, it's just, I can do whatever I want, so I made the biggest movie ever. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, Infinity War is going to make the most money, but eh, it's not that good, I think. But that's just me. It's those movies that are restrained and have some sort of uh, something to overcome that Mm -hmm. that the artists can really shine and i think this is an example of that because they spent all all this money on i don't know how many animatronic sharks but they had a bunch of sharks right and they tested them they worked great and they're like okay awesome let's bring them to the ocean they don't work in salt water oh yeah yeah so that makes sense originally all of those big deaths were going to be much closer to what we would expect from a movie today right like, you see the shark, you see it eating people. Right. And I think that would be a worse movie because when we talk about all the horror movies I like, it's always the idea of your imagination is scarier than whatever you can see on screen. Right. I feel like the biggest single problem in the majority of horror movies, and I know there's been a really nice resurgence in the last 10 years, but the biggest problem in so many of them is that they show the big bad thing early on and then they keep showing it to you and it just doesn't scare me it looks silly after a certain amount mm-hmm. of time especially if it's some sort of monster or even a shark yeah if you see it too much it's not scary anymore because they couldn't show it they had to kind of shift from making a monster movie to making a more hitchcock style thriller right with just fins and shadows and yeah And like we mentioned in our uh, Psycho episode, one of Hitchcock's most famous uh, sayings was that a a bomb under the table, if it explodes, that is surprise. But a bomb under the table that you show the audience and it doesn't explode, that's suspense. Mm. And suspense is better than surprise. That's why like jump scares are cheap, but this overall building kind of like 
pit of your stomach fear. Mm -hmm. That's what's harder to do. And I think this movie does more in that realm. Although there were two, one really good jump scare. Like the head, that one got me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that and then also the moment when um, Brody is chumming right the before water that you're gonna and need it a just boat. like comes out of the ocean really slowly yeah. and he's not even looking for a second yeah. that got me i love his reaction and of course that's and like the backing famous it. line from this yeah uh the you're gonna need a bigger boat but i kind of forgot the context and it's a great shot it is and it's a good reaction you don't expect it and his reaction is so different than what we would see in most horror movies because it's stunned silence and a slow walk back and i think that one doesn't have any music either no it's like really quiet and then the shark is also fun because every other bad thing screams or makes a noise when it's coming at you and this is just silently coming up yeah and you get like the water noise and that's about it yeah yeah and i love the very first kill when it's that um the woman who is swimming and she's getting kind of like pulled around. Mm-hmm. And that movement is so reminiscent of like um, the exorcist or like a real horror movie. Yeah. Like that. It just looks so unnatural. And that's why it's so unnerving mm-hmm. because we also can't see what it is. We know of course it's a shark because we're watching Jaws. Jaws yeah. But I loved the first kill and I didn't remember liking that part as much. Hmm. Did you like that first one? I think I liked it um, just in that it like kind of set the tone. Mm-hmm. And that, like, it was going to be shark attack. You don't know when. And I like that you see more gradually throughout. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, just absolutely nothing. Yeah. And I think that was really effective. Because I think Spielberg, as much as I, like, will rag on him on other movies, he knows how to toy with an audience. Mm. He knows that we like to be scared, and he plays with that, and I think very expertly in this movie. I think later on in his career, he gets very manipulative, and I think there's a a fine line. I guess being played with is manipulation, but there is uh, so much more artistry to it in this movie than like Schindler's List, I think, won Best Picture. So Mm. it's, it's a great movie, everyone says. Yeah. But there's a sequence in that, and I'm not going to spoiler Schindler's List, but, you know, it's about the Holocaust, so I guess you know what happens. We all know what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've never there, seen it, but... There is a sequence, though, I'll spoil 10 seconds of the okay, movie, great. where people are going to a big, giant shower, and they're like, we know what's coming, Yeah. right? And then, surprise, it's just a normal shower. And that I found as manipulative. I, he knows exactly what we're expecting, and he mm-hmm. was just kind of a, just kidding. Because you know about the Holocaust. It was too coy, and the subject matter that he was, like, kind of being coy you with. You be coy about the Holocaust. I, that's just me, but I, I don't. I didn't like that. I find a lot of movies are um, too manipulative. They know mm-hmm. what they're doing, and they they go like, "Do you think this?" Just kidding. And he does that in this movie, but like we were talking about the big. Um, beach scene yeah like the famous one and he does that over and over again but it feels so much more earned because he's going is it here is it here is it here nope here's your payoff yeah so it's more redirection and sustaining that fear rather than just like gotcha Mm -hmm. and i know it's a really subtle line and maybe other people don't feel strongly but i feel to me it is a definite line 
And it is a, a big reason why I don't like later Spielberg stuff because I oh. feel like he's manipulative because like, he knows gotcha. how to play with an yeah. audience. And of course he does. He's a great director. But he is so much less subtle later in mm. his career, I think. that This is definitely that scene didn't feel like some of those movies where they're like, oh, just kidding. Yeah. It oh, felt, just kidding. It felt yeah. so much more like Hitchcock. Yeah. We need to watch some more Hitchcock. Okay. I think also that idea of your own imagination is scarier than what you see. Mm -hmm. What I loved is that this movie, the characters themselves undergo that. Like when uh, Brody's wife looks at the picture and then gets scared for her son. Yeah. Like when they start imagining things and it is scarier than what they see. Yeah. I, I like how the characters undergo what we're undergoing. I liked uh, during the boat part. Um, I liked that all three characters have like very different motivations. Yeah. And very different approaches to the same thing. Like, um, Hooper is excited. And then Quint is like, I've spent my life like avoiding sharks or like trying to overpower sharks. So he's like, this is like my big moment. And then, um, Brody just wants the town to be okay. And so he's kind of unhappily along. Mm -hmm. He's like, I should be here to supervise for safety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I love the interplay of the three of them. Yeah. And let's uh, circle back to that when we talk about some character okay. stuff. Because I agree and have some more thoughts because I always have more thoughts. You always have more thoughts. <laughs> Indy, I have more thoughts around out. <laughs> That's very accurate. <laughs> I'm going to make you a shirt that says Painfully that. accurate. Let's continue on with um, some other things that were building this tension. And one of the most famous things, of course, one of the few things you knew about this movie, the score. Yeah. How did you like it? I liked it. I think it it added some like tenseness. Ten tenseness? Tension? Tension. That's I was going to say tensity. Um, so the like it added some tension and then in other parts it added a little bit of like whimsical value to like when they're on the boat and they're shooting off those um, barrel things. Mm -hmm. And there's like it's kind of more lighthearted music than you'd expect. But you can see that they're like succeeding in whatever they're trying to do. Yeah. And I loved the idea of using the score in place of showing something mm -hmm. because as soon as you hear those two notes and it yeah. is just two notes back and forth yeah. right when as soon as you hear that you're like oh the shark is here yeah and that's such a seemingly obvious now but maybe not then because it's obvious because of this movie it's right. such a great way to do a stand-in for something you can't show yeah. and i don't know if um like later friday the 13th are going to be using those music stings the way they do if it hadn't been for Jaws kind of establishing that. Like, you don't want to show something? Let's hear it. But yeah. it's silent. We'll just give you a cue so you know when it's there. Right. It's the most direct way in this movie that they're telling us something. They're like, this is scary. Here you go. Mm -hmm. But it works because it is doing it through the language of film, through the score, rather than characters just being like, this is scary. Yeah. Or like a lot of screaming. And yeah, I did like how the score is way more varied than I remember because mm -hmm. you can definitely hear the precursors to E.T. and even Star Wars in some of the other parts and some Indiana Jones when they're doing the adventure stuff. Yeah. And uh, John Williams, of course, who's another guy, which 
I used to always talk about it like John Williams. I don't like him. He's overrated, but clearly he's the best. Yeah. And I just don't like to admit it. He's done some incredible movie scores. <laughs> I'm kind of like with Spielberg. I didn't like Spielberg and I still am. I don't, he's not my favorite director or anything, but you got to admit he's very good at what he does. Mm-hmm. And same with John Williams. Cause sometimes I feel like he's just so on the nose, but then you listen to it all and you're like, God damn, it's so fucking brilliant yeah. though. It's so good. And he was a Cause it's music. It, elicits emotions even when you're not watching the movie yeah like everyone's been in a pool with their dad who's gone donna donna and then like <laughs> flipped you over in your tube or something maybe not everyone okay maybe maybe just, i haven't but maybe no. just me i don't think my dad's seen jaws <laughs> oh well, you know what maybe he did Maybe he saw it in like a, a drive through in small town bc when he was younger. <laughs> I also like, though, their restraint with it, because you would say, like, that's there's nothing restraint about that score. And I heard that the first time Spielberg heard it, he thought it was a joke, because he's like, this is too much. But clearly, it, it works, right? It's iconic, yeah. If you're so big, you just become iconic. But if if this movie wasn't successful, or if the score was just, like, a little worse, but still as big, yeah. it'd be hilarious. Yeah. Because it's so big. You don't see big things like that in scores very often. No. Oh, I remember. I have I have a story about this, actually. Oh. I was watching, um, like, Instagram reels just without my headphones on, so I didn't have my sound on. And someone used the Jaws theme, but they used, like, the accessible titles, so you can see it all written out. And I knew what it was. Just based on the words that came up. What words came up? It was like, duh, nah, duh, nah. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, is this Jaws? And then I looked, because you can see like the credit at the top. And I was like, how did I know that that was Jaws? Like, that's amazing. That it's even written out, you can still, like, it's that iconic. That's how big it is. Yeah. I also love that during like the big attack or some other big moments, it's silent. We're not silent, but there's no score. Yeah. They just, it's just like the sound of the ocean. I think that's how you get away with using a score this like big. It's not constant. Yeah, it's not constant and it's in place of showing the shark. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting too much. And then when you see the shark, you're like, we don't need the score now. Mm -hmm. If you had had both, I think it would have been like kind of beating you over the head with like, this is scary. We know it's scary. We're seeing a shark eat someone. Yeah. But when we can't see the shark, that's when we need it. There were a couple times where the shark was a little fake looking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it didn't look and work nearly as well. Uh, Which times? Um, The one where it's hanging. Oh, the first shark. Yeah. So when I hear something crazy, that's a real shark. What? Yeah. Oh, maybe I just don't know what like a real shark looks like. That's what it is, because I agree that shark looks fake. It is, in fact, an absolutely real shark. Okay. So much of what we think is real and fake is created by the movies. Like, if you ever bleed a lot, you'll be like, this looks fake. It looks way too red. Yeah. Actual blood looks way too red. Yeah, because they usually do like a deep... A darker. Maroon kind of color. Yeah. That yeah. looks scary or and bright like red. And shiny and... Like, like blood isn't as shiny as it is in the movies. It's pinker than you'd expect. It's pinker and it's like more opaque mm-hmm. and matte. Yeah, it's more creamy. Yeah. Creamy. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, so I didn't much realize of, that that was a real shark. Yeah, because what I think of... From real sharks is probably from movies. Yeah. 
And they did use some real shark footage, like when he's in the cage. This is something that's really cool is because they wanted the shark to look super, super big. So in the cage, they had real sharks going around it or a real shark. But the actor was replaced with a four foot ten actor. So it would make the shark look that much bigger. Looked huge. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, the shark doesn't look great in a lot of times. No. But then again, it's like, well, I guess I don't know what a shark looks like because the actual real shark I also think looks fake. Now I'm rethinking the other time I thought it was like super fake was when in the pond, he comes up kind of sideways. Oh, I don't recall that. I thought closer to the end when it's kind of just like up on the boat and kind of like lolling around. Oh, yeah, that was kind of weird. But I guess, like, well, how would a shark look on a boat? It's going to look not great. Yeah, because they're If not it was a real shark, it would animals. also look like yeah. that. So I don't know like how it could be better, but it looks a little... Partially odd. stuck. Yeah. And he does look stuck. Yeah. But yeah, so I, there were a couple moments where the shark didn't look quite real, but I also earlier in this episode said that baby shark was my favorite kind of shark. So, so yeah, we're not shark I'm not experts. a shark expert. <laughs> so the, the pacing and the editing... I think mm-hmm. are are great in this movie. Like when we have early on and we have like that static shot of people having fun uh, at the very beginning. And then the camera starts to move more as there are people running on the beach. And then when she gets into the water, the camera has the movement of a, of a boat bobbing up and down. Right. And then it gets more hectic as she's pulled around. But then there are those pauses, like when she grabs onto that uh, buoy that's out there and mm-hmm. you get like a few seconds of silence and calm. And, and of course that's just a, another fake out and it's going to get even more violent right yeah. after that. And I love that the movie, and I think this is what the editing does very well is it gives some silence in between all of the chaos. Mm-hmm. It gives those uh, scary moments a chance to land because it gives you a, a chance to think about things and like maybe you could be lulled into thinking things are all right mm-hmm. but it just gives everything room to breathe it's not like modern action movies where it's just bam 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 you yeah. don't even remember what happened because it's yeah. a lot of oh it's like you. yeah like we mentioned infinity war earlier it's like there were so many things happening on the screen so quickly that yeah you don't have a chance to be like understanding what's happening yeah even and I think that's almost intentional because a lot of those movies, if you really look at them, don't make any sense. No. But if they give you a chance to think about them not making sense, then you'll figure it out. But if it's so fast, you're like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, cool. Like people Christopher flying. Nolan always has people going into a tunnel at daytime and you're like, well, I can't have Batman in the daytime. And he comes out, it's nighttime. But it's so quick. You're like, I didn't even notice. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that very famous beach scene because we did uh, just rewatch it and I was kind of breaking it down as you we were, went. Yeah. But it was so good upon this viewing that I was like, well, we have to talk about it a little bit. And it has that classic tension release and rise over and over again. And the tension starts building because it's uh, intercutting with Brody's point of view and then the things he's seeing. Right. And the camera movement in that is is beautiful. The camera movement in this movie is way better than I expected. And I think this early on, Spielberg is being much more adventurous. And I think for to the benefit of the film in this movie than he does in, in a lot of later ones. Hmm. Like, I really love the camera movement in this one. It seemed very real. Like documentary-ish yeah and the camera moves with people yeah and it seems to be always mimicking 
something in that world. It's not just arbitrary, like, flashy camera moves yeah. for no reason. Or, like, too stationary, because sometimes... Like the camera seems too stationary, whereas mm-hmm. they're on a boat, a small boat that's getting yeah. like really rocked up by the ocean, and the camera movement matches that. Yeah, the camera movement usually mimics the water, or in this scene, it's often mimicking the people walking back and yeah. forth. And you have the camera follow one character, see another, and then follow them. Mm-hmm. And little things like that, I think, were really effective because it's in the first little bit of that beach scene, it shows you all of the different. I guess players yeah, in that scene. You see, like here's the one woman, and then that's going to be the fake out. But we don't know that yet. So we follow her for a while, then we follow the boy for a bit, and then we finally see that. Oh, it's I was going to say Roy Scheider, um, Brody that is watching this. So then we get his point of view, and after that, everything is kind of uh, filtered through him, and we get little things like somebody standing in front of him and blocks us from seeing him Mm -hmm. so that's mimicking his own point of view and there's a little bit of tension because we can't see what's going on because we just see this guy's shoulder and he can't see also so he's straining to see and then we get the um couple in the water and there's some screaming there so we think oh maybe it's that but no no that's all right (laughs) and it brings you back down again and then there's the dog that's missing and and finally we get that build up to the scene where the boy is taken under and we get that kind of bubbling up of blood and water, Mm -hmm. which I think is a a brilliant shot. And like very realistic. I liked the like one occurrence of that like fake out and that they didn't do that again in the movie. Yeah. And then we, of course, maybe the most famous shot in it, we get that vertigo shot, which is a zoom in and track back or is it zoom out and track in? And that's the one where the background kind of falls away from right. uh, from Brody. And in Vertigo, it's to induce Vertigo. And in this movie, it's kind of like his focus is like finally catching in yeah. on something. And I thought that was great use of that. This whole scene is, is very, very Hitchcock. Because also, I think you could make the argument that Brody is pretty similar to um, Jimmy Stewart in Rear Window at this point. Because uh, in Rear Window, he's uh, literally incapable of movement and of helping what he... Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he's seeing from across the street. And he's unable to help. And in this case, I think Spielberg's like a big enough film nerd, and especially for Hitchcock stuff, that he's probably saying like, well, just like Jimmy Stewart was... Uh, handicapped by it physically he has been kind of handcuffed by the mayor not letting him do yes. his job properly. and he's not able and then also the shark like what is he gonna do and also he can't go in the water yeah like in this scene he runs right to the edge of the water and looks down and doesn't go forward yeah and that's like a small thing and i think it's pretty on the nose to be like oh he has to fight a shark but he's scared of water that's very typical but how they do it in this i think mm-hmm. is employed well enough that it, i think it's like a, just a good character place yeah oh and then if that's not enough hitchcock i think uh his wife has hair that's very reminiscent of uh kim novak yeah were they just doing a straight up vertigo thing Yeah, I think he was. And then those other things to show where the shark is without actually showing it, like the barrels or the whole dock moving, I think that's all really effective too. Oh, yeah. Just like the idea of those barrels moving because you can't show the shark doing all of that, but that gives you enough. And like the fact that they were like, oh, well, we'll see how long it takes for him to resurface with that one barrel, but the shark is so big that 
Yeah. He's not a one-barrel shark. He's not a one-barrel shark. He's a three-barrel. He's a three-barrel shark. And even then, he was getting those barrels under the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big fucking shark. Big ass shark. You're going to need a bigger boat. You're going to need a way bigger boat. Where they was didn't. That first boat that they went out in, mm-hmm. where was that boat? Well, that was hooper's boat right which has all of his stuff but quint is like i'm not going on some fancy boat right i'm all hardcore i'm going on this piece of shit the orca because the orca looked like it was a boat to fall apart orcas can kill great whites can they in the real world that happens oh fancy i wonder if that they knew that and that's why they named it the orca maybe Hmm. well let's talk about some of that character stuff that you had mentioned because i think that is what separates this movie from a lot of other like summer blockbuster type Mm -hmm. movies because i think it's not a huge part of it but i think there is some really good character work that is done subtly and efficiently like for instance there's all of brody's family things like there's that one scene where it's at dinner and he's really stressed out and his son is like mimicking him being stressed yeah which is pretty cute yeah and it shows you enough it shows you that yes he is stressed but yes he has love in his life and he has these things and he says to his son like oh give me a kiss and the son goes why and goes because i need it and that's great that's, that's all you sweet. need no that's, that's such a sweet need. little interaction there and like he's stressed but he's like yeah i'm gonna he's talk a good to dad. my son for a minute yeah and of course pretty much all of this movie is about men this is a very uh male centric movie so i don't want to give this movie like credit for like oh well look at all the great female characters because it's about these three men it's about men yeah but i also had to say that in the small amount of screen time that women have in this i do feel like they're all fully fleshed out characters and they tell you something about themselves and their relationships with the other characters in the small amount of screen time they have. Like Brody's wife, I really loved her. I don't even remember her character's name. (laughs) (laughs) Ellen Brody. Ellen. Um, I love that line of when she says, want to get drunk and fool around? Yeah. I was like, I know their relationship. Yeah. That's all you need. You just need one line. And you're like, oh, they're they're fun. I didn't know that they were a fun couple. And that they're like in love and like they have a life outside of him being a police officer. Yeah. Because it's giving you not quite like a fully fleshed out character so we don't know much but it it shows you that they are more than what they are doing on the boat on the mm-hmm. the end of this movie and i love that she packed him extra glasses yeah and his glasses do get smashed off yeah they do <laughs> in uh that little scene that we just watched again today i was like oh that's such a sweet little thing and then i was like no that's how i pack <laughs> you pack my extra glasses? No. You pack your extra glasses. I, just, I pack my own extra glasses. You pack your own extra glasses. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about like how I packed for the festival we were at this weekend. It's like, oh, I've got sunscreen and bug spray and this and this and this and this and like everything you could ever need. And I feel like that's how she packed his bag for him. Yeah. Anything he could ever need. I also love that bit when she thinks she doesn't need to worry about the shark and then she sees a picture of the shark biting the boat. And then she goes, actually, yeah, yeah, come in. (laughs) Why are you doing it out on the water? But yeah, it is uh, definitely a male-dominated movie. So let's talk about masculinity in this movie because I think people have made the pitch that the shark is representative of masculinity. It's like 
phallic and destroying everything and that's a little too freudian for me i'm not that (laughs) i'm not a a freudian kind of guy but i do like the choices they've made in this because i think for a movie about three white men going out to kill an animal Mm -hmm. i think there is a much more nuanced take on masculinity than you would expect Mm. like they wanted i think charlton heston to play brody at first and that would be like terrible because he can't have like a superhero kind of like a, a cocky asshole yeah as brody because that's not no because he he's is. like a caring family man yeah so i i loved the casting i think he was great i've seen um roy Scheider in like dance type movies oh. right so that's so he's not he's in the bring it on franchise uh no oh, all that, that jazz step up <laughs> yeah yeah you <laughs> also step up and i guess quint is the most um movie typically masculine guy and he's uh, making fun of other people who he thinks aren't as tough as him but i don't think the movie takes that stance itself because quint is like a dick right the movie says he's a dick. oh he's a dick yeah okay he's like one of those old guys who's like had a very solitary life who just like isn't fit for public yeah, and he's calling people life. ladies all the time. It's yeah. like, that's his insult. Like, yeah. oh, ladies. Yeah, like he's just not fit to be around people anymore. Yeah, he's a, he's a dick. In a lot of other movies, I think you would have, oh, I'm the uh, nerdy rich kid, which is what Hooper is. And he would need to learn how to be tough like Quint. Mm-hmm. And Quint would be the uh, either like a sage master type or the hero. Mm-hmm. And this movie doesn't do that at all. And I really appreciate it because like the thoughtful nerdiness and even a squeamishness at the sight of a dead body by Hooper or the understated determination of Brody are all seen as just as if not more valuable forms of masculinity in mm-hmm. this movie. And I think that is a surprisingly nuanced and progressive take for a movie from 1975. But I think there's a lot in the 70s, like I always say, that was much more common than it was in the 80s or 90s. Right. And let's go back to what you were talking about, about these three characters being there for different reasons, but also the same reason. Yeah. Because I think there's such great economy in describing the motivation of these characters. Because uh, Quint wants some sort of uh, like retribution for yeah. what he's been through because of all of his friends were eaten by sharks. Yeah. And, and he's like spent his life out on the sea. Yeah. I'm sure being annoyed by sharks. Yeah. And then Brody wants this redemption because he wasn't strong enough earlier on in the movie to stand up for his own convictions and people are now dead because of mm-hmm. it. And then Hooper wants to, I guess, like, prove himself. Yeah, because he dropped that shark tooth. And I think that that, like, he feels like he needs to come back from that. That and because he is, like, this rich kid, Mm -hmm. right? He's younger. He's more wealthy. And early on, he's kind of being, like, bullied by the locals. Yeah. Because he's not, like, an islander. He's not a real sailor. He knows what he's talking about. And we establish it very quickly that he actually is more knowledgeable about a lot of sailing things than anyone else. But everyone still talks down to him, uh, calls him a lady, says he has city hands, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And he needs to prove himself. And he he definitely does. And I think it's... Well, I love that scene, the scar scene, mm-hmm. when they're comparing scars. Yeah. That is brilliant because if there's a, like a better 
distillation of like macho posturing. Yeah. That is such a good one, right? Yeah. That they're all saying, oh, well, I got you beat. Look at yeah. this. Yeah, oh, look at this. And when it goes over to Brody, he lifts up his shirt and he has a scar. And there's two very different readings of this. And I'm not sure which one is correct. So it could be like, he's seen some shit. He was a cop in New York in yeah. the 70s. He's seen some shit. Yeah. And something happened to him. But he's such a like understated type of like yeah. quiet masculinity that he doesn't need to show it off. Yeah. I hope that's the case. But I think the other reading is, is that's an appendix scar. Because I think it is in the right location for that. I think so. So then it's like, oh, should I tell them about my appendix scar? No, these guys are like super yeah. tough. And I will prove myself later because he's eventually the one who like kills the shark. Yeah. I also read it as he was happy that Quint and Hooper were getting along. Yeah. And that like eases some of the tension on the boat because we know Quint thinks Hooper is just some fancy like ocean boy. Mm-hmm. And you can tell Hooper really wants to impress Quint. Yes, definitely. With his knowledge and everything. So I wonder if um, if Brody was like, no, I'm going to let them have their moment. I'll just stay out. Yeah. yeah. And just like, because this is good for the team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he just wants things to go well. He yeah. doesn't care about credit or anything no. like that or proving that he's a man or anything yeah. like that. That's not who no. he is. He just wants like everyone to be able to work together as a team. Yeah. And I think they start singing together right before the scar scene. Or is it right after? I think it's right after. It's right around there. Yeah. But that, oh, and then the Indianapolis scene. So if you're not familiar, the USS Indianapolis, that is a, a true story that yeah. he tells in this. That really happened. And it's more gruesome than what he explains. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was added in kind of last minute to explain like, well, why is Quint the way he is? Mm-hmm. And instead of just being like an ocean dick, they gave him this. And it's it's great. It's That's all I need. Mm-hmm. They just need to do, they do the bare minimum to get character depth. And I think that economy of character development is is very impressive. I also loved when they were in the Indianapolis speech, they keep Richard Dreyfus Hooper in frame the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it like gives you some context to it. It's not just like this dramatic scene, I'm going to talk right to the camera and tell you this scary story. Mm-hmm. You're seeing the reaction to go with it. And it's early on, uh, right at the beginning, when Hooper's laughing, he's like, oh, what did it say, mother? And he's laughing, he goes, no, USS Indianapolis. And then you can see Hooper's face like change yeah, because like he, he knows, knows this yeah. story. In real life, I, one of the crazy things was like the survivors, um, because everyone was just floating in open water for like days, yeah. being eaten by sharks and dying of dehydration and everything. Right. The survivors, when they were pulled in, uh, their skin just Lipped oh, out. I've heard about that. Yeah, because they were so waterlogged. Yeah, that it just like sloughed off. That's so gross. Yeah. I would rather be eaten by the shark, honestly, at that point. Then, like, yeah, have to regrow your own skin. Did they live? Did a lot of them live though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there were survivors for sure. Mm-hmm. Wow. I just like that Quint and Hooper were such foils for each other, and then when they come together in this scene, and that's kind of like. The forging of the team that you see in so many sports movies, but it's done so much more like elegantly here where everyone realizes like, oh, we all bring something to the table and Mm -hmm. together we can get this done. And then they do. Yeah, that was it was kind of a fun group. And I like that there's no like big action star kind of guy here. The casting, I think, is, is very good. 
because although this was a time where Richard Dreyfus could be like a leading man, which I, I love, but it's just so far removed from our world, yeah. right? <laughs> of the leading men of today. Yeah. Yeah. And it just seems very uh, 70s that the the average man is the one who can be a hero. Mm-hmm. And yeah, now everyone is like, oh, but actually I had all these superpowers and I only discovered them in the third act. But, you know, here yeah. we are. Yeah. I'm the chosen one. And they literally say often that they are the chosen one. <laughs> and that's not the case here. It's just, you know what? We figured it out because we tried hard enough. Yeah. And we became a team. And I think as much as I love those downer 70s movies, this could be those same things, but having an uplifting end because... Here, order is reestablished, and it is like your common middle-class guy who is able to do it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of those same things of disillusionment with uh, the failures of societal structures, but it's also a bright light because at the end, Hooper and Brody are paddling their way into shore. And I love that that's how how it ends is like, Oh, I thought you didn't like the water. I can't imagine why. And that's how the movie ends. <laughs> yeah. It's no big, they come back and there's a parade for them because yeah. that's not what matters. And Brody isn't about that celebratory thing. He's about getting things done and making things better. Yeah. There you go. Uplifting, but still very 70s. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've talked way too much. Um, what about you? <laughs> Do you have any any other things you want to touch on before we uh, we move on? I feel like I I talked about everything I wanted to talk about. All right. Then do you want to wrap up? Do you have any final thoughts on Jaws and your first viewing of it? Um, It was definitely fun. And I can see how it kind of like birthed the genre of summer blockbuster movies. And uh, I definitely would think twice after seeing that of just like swimming in the open ocean. And there's so many people who just had a crippling fear of sharks oh. after this. And there's people like who aren't near water and would always just be like, oh, is there a shark around the corner? Yeah. So it was, I, I think we can't appreciate how effective it was. But mm-hmm. from everything I've read, it like just destroyed a generation of people from going into their bathtubs. Even. Yikes. <laughs> I um, am scared of fish. Like oh yeah, we yeah. When we go snorkeling the... once, and I was like kicking at the fish because they were getting too close to me. Yeah, and uh, you just look more like an injured seal then, and then they're gonna come eat you. I know. It's it's yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing myself any favors, but uh, so I can't imagine seeing this and then like having the opportunity to go in the ocean after and being so so scared. Now I'm just gonna be scared of everything forever. <laughs> just like me. Yeah. So, Indy, you saw this many years ago? Yeah, a long time ago. uh, Did it hold up for you? Did you have any final thoughts about the movie? I think I like it better now. Oh, okay. So I brought it saying like, yeah, it'll be a lighter movie, but still kind of um, an important and historical movie. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think it still is. But it's so much more fun and effective than I thought. I thought it would be a lot more schlocky from the era. I thought that would be a part of it. And also I wasn't, I'm not a huge fan of modern Spielberg a lot of the time. So I was like, yeah, it'll be fine though. It'll be a fun movie that we can talk about what works, what doesn't and why it's important. But it's just, it's just a good movie. It is good. It's just a, it's a great movie. And it's always hard to rate our 
favorite movies or it's even harder to rate like what's the best movie but i think for this podcast we often look at how successful that movie is at what it is trying to do Mm -hmm. and what a movie is trying to do may be something we like or it might not be Mm -hmm. but it's it can be successful or fail at what it was trying to do and i think if this is to make a summer blockbuster which we think of as being something that is like thrilling adventurous and fun this is it yeah this Mm -hmm. is a peak summer blockbuster it does all of those things so well it's not just the prototype it's also like a an exemplar of that it does it it does it better than the majority of movies now do i think Mm -hmm. and i think it's because it was able to pull so many elements because a lot of people will just say this is a straight up horror movie and i don't know if it is i don't really care like what you call it right but it definitely has a lot more straight up horror elements than most like adventure type movies right. would or blockbuster type movies would and i think that's part of why it's so enduring and great because it kind of splits itself amongst all these different genres mm-hmm. and then in addition to that you get such like iconic things like the score but we also get little add-ons to take it to the next level because it could have all of that and it would be a fun movie Mm -hmm. but then it has some great character and story work and then you add that on to like young spielberg's ambitious i don't want to say ripping off of uh of hitchcock but the homage and just how ambitious he was with his camera movements Mm -hmm. and writing these full characters who are just so much more nuanced than you would see in a lot of other action movies when you bring all of that together it's it's a great movie yeah and i think it's a movie unlike most summer blockbusters that gets better if you look at it with a magnifying glass Hmm. if you look at any marvel movie and dissect it you're gonna like it a lot less yeah true this i think just gets better the more you dissect it because I think the worst parts of this movie are the ones right on the surface of like, well, that shark doesn't look great. And you're like, yeah, I got that. You got that in the first viewing. And then the more you look at it, the better it gets. Yeah. So yeah, I love Jaws. What a great movie. <laughs> also, fun fact, uh, Fidel Castro said Jaws was one of the best critiques of the American way of life that Hollywood has ever made. Wow. Yeah. Castro. <laughs> So our second sponsor of the episode is Taproot and their Arts Roundup. Taproot publishes a weekly arts roundup gathering what's happening locally in the theater, dance, the visual arts, the literary arts, and more. Subscribe to the Arts Roundup for free at taprootedmonton.ca. And make sure you join us back here again next week. Same shark time, same shark channel. And we will have probably no sharks. No, no uh, sharks. Next I can week guarantee will it. be the lead up to Samantha's movie. So we'll each have a spoiler free thing of the week. And then she'll let us know what we're watching for the big watch the week after that. You think there's going to be sharks? No sharks. Okay. I'm going to guarantee. There's a no shark guarantee for next week. Whoa. Whoa. I, I can't. Not next week. The week after. Oh, sorry. The week after. I yeah. might find some sharks. We'll see. All right, we'll see you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye, everybody.